That's what we're saying. Um, looking at Ephesians chapter 1, thinking about praising God. And I was saying that as Christians, we find deep delight in praising God. We discover that that's what we are made for. And so we gather in a morning like this, and we rejoice in the fact that we, we come to think about how good God is, how great God is. And praise is something which comes fairly instinctively to us as human beings. Even if someone you know, makes us really nice foods, then we praise it. We say, this is really good. And we praise the person that made it and thank them for what they've done. Or if we fall in love, then we can't stop talking to other people about this wonderful person that we've met. And we talk to them and praise them about all the good things that we see in them. And so it is when we come to know God, we instinctively praise God. We tell others about how good God is, and we tell God how great he is, because we have come to find in him one who is greater and more good than anyone else that we've ever encountered. And our praise only dries up when we start to lose sight of how good and how great God is. And that's why the old hymn says, when you're discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And so when we recount what God has done in our lives and all of his goodness towards us, then that's what makes us start to praise God and acknowledge how good he has been towards us. And that's what Paul does then in Ephesians chapter 1. He's writing to Christians in Ephesus and encouraging them to think about what God has done for them and how that should impact their lives. And in the first chapter of Ephesians, he writes to these saints and he tells them why they should be full of praise and full of joy in what God has done for them. And in verse 3 of this chapter, we're going to break in. This morning he says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so from the very outset, what he's saying is that there's nothing that God has held back from us. And so if you're going to count your blessings, it's going to be a very long list, because God has given us everything that he could possibly give. And this makes Paul rejoice. And he wants it to cause us to rejoice as well. So let's read this morning from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 and listen to what Paul through the Holy Spirit is saying to us. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And this is the word of the Lord. In this passage then, Paul is overflowing with joy as he bursts out in praise to God for what he has done. And he describes for us how God's blessing began before the world ever began. And his blessing for us isn't something which starts here in time, it starts before the world was ever created. And then he describes how God worked through Jesus Christ to reconcile us to himself and to reveal his his plan for us to bring everything under Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to describe how God works through his Holy Spirit to seal us for the day when he will take us to be with himself. And so Paul, he weaves together this love that God has for us, which starts in eternity past and comes to us in the present, in our own experience, and will last into eternity yet to come. And he weaves together the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this three-personed God who loves us so deeply that he will never let us go. And Paul's persistent emphasis is that everything this God does, he does to the praise of his glory. God wants us to see how glorious he is, how good he is, so that we burst out in praise and acknowledge just how good this God is that we have come to know. And so Paul begins in verse 3 by summing up his thoughts as he begins this prayer of praise. And he says, Blessed be, or praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so he reminds us that this is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not merely the, the God of the philosophers. This is not some abstract deity that is obscure. This is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has been made known to us in Jesus Christ as the God who burns with such deep love for us that he will stop at nothing to rescue us and to bring us to himself. And because this God is such an immense source of good, then he says that God is the one who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, everything that God could do for us, he has done for us. And so he says that these spiritual blessings, this has been given to us in the heavenly places or in the heavenly realm, or we might even say the spiritual realm. And the point here is that the way God has blessed us is not by giving us bigger cars or bigger houses or better jobs or better health, as good as those things might be. The point is that in the spiritual realm into which God has brought us, in which we experience the life of the age to come, in that realm which cannot be seen by, by eyes that is only understood by faith, we have received everything that God could possibly give to us. And the reason why Paul can say this is because what God has ultimately given to us is himself. God has not withheld anything of himself back from us. God has given us his whole self so that all of our attributes are made, all of his attributes are made over to us. 
And so this God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ hasn't just given us some mere token of affection and, and said, you know, let me just tell you that I love you and just set up my words. This is the God who has opened up his whole life to us and said to each one of us, I will love you as much as I love my own dear son. And so we are welcomed into the very life of God himself. And that's why Paul can then say that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. And so Paul, he rejoices in how we have every spiritual blessing, but he's not content to leave it there as a generality. He wants to be concrete and specific about what it is that God has done for us. Let's Paul then count the ways in which God has manifested his love for us. And so he begins in eternity past, before the world ever began, before there was matter itself. In verse 4, Paul says, God chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. When we read these words, we discover then that before the world was ever created, before this universe ever came into being, God had his heart set on you. Each one of us this morning, God had his heart set on you. He planned your future and he set out your destiny to be adopted as one of his own dear sons through Jesus Christ. Now, I must confess that I was a bit hesitant to speak in a text like this this morning because when we start to read a text like this where Paul says he chose us before the foundation of the world, the creation of the world, then it opens up all kinds of questions. The proverbial bag of worms. Questions like, well, if God chose me, then did I have a free choice in choosing God? Questions like, if God chose me, then what about all the other people? Did he choose them or not choose them? What about them? Um, questions like, did God choose me individually or did he just choose collectively the people that would believe in Jesus Christ? And I have answers that I think satisfy me to those kinds of questions, but I'm not going to go there simply because those are not the questions that Paul tackles here. Paul, he wants us to praise God doesn't want to, to open up philosophical questions. He doesn't want to open up points of debate. Paul wants us to rejoice. So that however way we navigate some of these questions, our end point is to praise God for what he's done for us in choosing us. And so, even if we took a text like this and said, well, it's that God chooses those who believe in Jesus Christ collectively to belong to him, I still think then that you're still left with the point that individually he knew you before the creation of the world and he loved you before the creation of the world. And that's the point that, that Paul wants to drive at and that's the point that I want to drive at. That however we negotiate these philosophical questions, the point is that God loved you before the world ever came into existence. And so that's what we should rejoice in as we think about this. And as we think about it, first thing that we notice is that God chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. And that means that the creation 
the world itself is not God's ultimate purpose. That's not God's central objective. Because before he creates the world, what's he got in mind? He's got you in mind. He loves you before he ever thinks about creating the world. His people are at the centre of his thoughts. You are at the centre of his thoughts. Second, notice that in love he predestines us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. To predestine someone means to map out their destiny beforehand. It means to plot out where they're going to end up, their final destination. And lovingly, God maps out our destiny to end up, to be adopted as sons in Jesus Christ. To be with him and to enjoy the fullness of what it means to be his sons and daughters. Of course, in one sense, it's already true that we are already the children of God. We are already the sons and daughters of God. In another sense, it's not yet fully manifest. It's not yet fully experienced. And so John can say, love and now we are the children of God, but it hasn't yet appeared what we shall be. And so there's a now and an already aspect, or there's an already and a not yet aspect to what we think about when we think about our adoption and sonship. And I suppose even when people are adopting children in a natural sense, they might sign all the legal paperwork. And in one sense, everything is done and dusted. The legal paperwork's maybe all completed. And so you're the legal parents of a child. But it's not fully completed until that child then comes home to live with you. And so when that child comes home, that's when the adoption really takes effect. And in that sense then, um, our Father has adopted us, but we haven't yet entered into the full experience of that adoption until we come to our Father's home to be with our Father himself. But thirdly then notice that all of this that God does is in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the Beloved One. His pleasure and will. This is what God really, really wants. He sets his heart on you, and he really, really wants you. And so we ought not to think about salvation as the, the, the plan of a, a muttering, disappointed God who has seen us fall into misery and ruin, and he says, oh, well, I suppose I'd better, better sort these people out, I'd better provide salvation for them after all, as if he's reluctant to do it. No, this is the God who finds immense and deep pleasure in rescuing us from our misery so that we would belong to him and then we are full of praise when we encounter this God who loves us so much and it satisfies us more than anything when we are full of praise and joy at what our God has done for us and so knowing then that God has chosen us that God has predestined us or given us our destiny beforehand Knowing that he has done this because he wants to do it, it's because of his pleasure and will, then that fills us with praise. And it really matters knowing this kind of thing because deep within each of us is a desire to feel and to be significant. We want to feel that our lives matter, that we count for something, that our lives aren't just a puff of air in the span of human history. And outside of Christ, there are many people who invest their lives in various different projects. Some good, not some not so good. But they'll invest their lives in things which give their lives meaning and significance. 
so that they can point to something and say, this is what I've done, this is what I've accomplished with my life. And like I said, sometimes they can be very good things. But for Christians, the joy of knowing God through Christ is that our worth and our significance is not found in what we have or what we do, but it's found in the fact that God says we are significant and valuable and loved. That God himself gives you that significance. And our significance is found in the fact that God has placed you and I at the very centre of his plans. And it's not that we earn the right to be part of those plans by doing anything, but it's a gift freely given to us from God. Before we ever existed, God loves us and graciously desires that we belong to him so that he can show his grace to us. So if you're a believer here this morning and, and you struggle with that sense of significance, what is my life? What does it count for? Then you need to know that your life is significant, that your life is valuable to God, that you are known and loved by the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ before you ever existed. And your life is one which is destined for eternal greatness, to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ into God's family to share the eternal joy of the new creation. And God is working out his plans in your life right now, right today, according to his pleasure and will, because he loves working out his plans in your life. So what I'm saying this morning isn't the call to, to do something. It's a call to recognize that God already, and that whatever you're doing, whatever your responsibilities are in life, God is working in your life. And bringing about his purposes, and you are known and loved. And that's something worth praising God for. But not only do we praise God for his eternal purposes for us before the world began, we praise God for how he has accomplished salvation for us through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul then comes to in verse 7. He says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I love this picture of God's grace here that Paul paints for us because he talks about the riches of God's grace. And He's not talking here about riches of material wealth, riches of money. He's talking about the riches of his grace, the immense storehouse of God's undeserved love and kindness towards sinners that don't deserve it. And he's got this immense storehouse of goods. And what does he do with it? Does he hoard it up? No, he lavishes it upon us, holding nothing back. Just like a father lavishes wealth on the children he loves, God lavishes the riches of his grace on us. And how does he do it? He does it through the redeeming death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so Paul says that we receive redemption through his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. Blood, of course, in the Bible refers to a sacrificial death, a death laid down that provides forgiveness 
that provides reconciliation with God. And through Christ's death on the cross, we discover this redemption that God has secured for us. We have been set free. We have been redeemed. We have been ransomed from our sentence of death that hung over us. Once we were captives to sin and death and we could not escape and our only destiny was eternal condemnation and God sets us free and forgives us freely by his grace through Jesus Christ and his redeeming work on the cross. And that's how much God loves us. That death itself, death of Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, would not stop God from loving us. And Paul doesn't stop there. He says in verse 8, that with all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. It's a rather long sentence. But Paul's saying that not only was it God's desire to redeem us, it's God's desire and good pleasure to make known his plans to us. That's what he means by the mystery of his will. How else would we know what God's will, God's purposes are? They would be clouded in mystery if God himself didn't come and tell us what he's up to in this world. And that's exactly what God is doing. And what is God's plan? What is his will? It's that when the times reach their fulfillment, when God brings human history to a close as we know it, God will bring unity to everything under Christ. He'll bring everything under Christ. In other words, God will appoint Jesus Christ as head of the new creation, the head of the universe. And one day, everyone and everything will acknowledge the supremacy and lordship of Jesus Christ. Of course, in one sense, that's already true. And again, we're, we're caught in this tension between the now and the not yet. In one sense, Jesus Christ says that all authority in heaven and on earth, heaven and on earth has been given to him. But it's not yet been fully manifested. All opposition hasn't yet been put under his feet. And so we, we long for that time of fulfillment when God will bring everything under Jesus Christ. All rebellion will be put down and Christ will reign supreme and unopposed. And Paul's point here is that God has made this known to us because he loves us. And this is his good pleasure and will. This is what he delights to do. He wants to tell us what he's up to in the world. And what we see in this section then is not only that God loves us before the world ever came into existence, but that in the here and now in human history, God has demonstrated that love to us by giving Christ to be our Redeemer and by telling us of his plan to bring everything under the authority of Jesus Christ. And so God purchases for himself, brings us close to himself, and tells us what's in his heart because he loves us, because it brings him joy to do it. That then makes concrete what was in God's eternal heart of love towards us. So maybe you come along morning thinking to yourself yeah it's great to hear that God loves me before the world was ever created how do I know that love how do I know that God really loves me and the answer that we've been rejoicing in this morning is we know that love at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ we go to the cross we see the son of God dying on the cross under the curse of our sins 
and say, look how much God loves me. Look at what he would do for me. And when we hear then of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, and when we hear of God's plan to bring everything under the authority of Jesus Christ, then we realise that God loves us enough to share his plans with us about how everything ends up. And why that it might be times in life where we go through periods of confusion and we're wondering to ourselves, what's going on in my life right now? How does this fit into God's plans? We know how it all ends up. We know how the story ends. We know that it ends with Jesus Christ supreme over all things and us with him in glory. And so while we might be confused in the here and now, we know that in the end, Christ wins. We know that everything is brought together under him. And that makes us praise God for all that he is doing and will do for us. It's not just the work of Christ that makes us praise God, that makes us know we are loved. It's the work of the Spirit of God as well. And that's what Paul comes to in verses 11 to 14. Verse 11, Paul, he looks back in himself and thinks about how God has loved us in eternity past. And then in verses 12 and 13, he thinks about how that has applied to us in our conversion when we come to know Jesus Christ. And then it gets applied in verses 13 and 14 through the work of the Spirit in our lives as we make our way into the future. And so he reminds us then in verse 11 that we're chosen and predestined according to God's will. He wants us to remember, of course, that we're part of God's plan. We're not accidents in human history. Each one of us are part of God's design. And then verse 12 says that God brings about this plan so that as we put our hope in Christ and discover the reality of what God has done for us, then we're full of praise to God, because that's what God wants. He wants to praise him. And so verse 11, or verse 13, um, says that when we heard this message of truth, this gospel of salvation, the gospel that brings us salvation, it results in us being joined to Jesus Christ. And so we enter into the reality of all that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us through his death and resurrection. But not only do we share in Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us, but we share in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so a seal is something that marks something as belonging to somebody. And so God marks us as his own by giving us his Holy Spirit. And it's important to remember that the Holy Spirit given to us isn't some mere force, something weird and, and, and mysterious. It's the life of God himself sent forth. The Spirit of God is God himself going out into the world, into human beings. And verse 14 says that, that he is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession. And so a deposit is the idea of a foretaste of what is yet to come. Put a deposit down on something, it means that you're saying that the rest of the money is yet to come. And so God gives us his Holy Spirit as a deposit of what is yet to come. What is yet to come? Well, what is yet to come is the new creation, the new heavens and the earth, when, when God's presence fills the earth. Or the prophets speak about the knowledge of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. So the whole earth is then going to be enveloped with the presence of God and everyone will 
will rejoice in Jesus Christ and know the presence of God. And as a foretaste of that day, what does God do? He sends his own presence. He himself comes into our lives as a foretaste of all that is yet to come. And in our lives then, the new creation dawns as we encounter the God who we will one day encounter face to face in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you ask though, how do I know that I've got the Holy Spirit? Paul doesn't answer that question here. He does answer it elsewhere in Galatians when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. How do you know that a tree is, is alive? Well, it produces fruit. How do you know that a person has the Spirit of God? Well, they produce the fruits that the Spirit produces. Just as a tree produces fruit, so also those who have the Spirit of God, the life of God in them, have attitudes and affections and actions that are unnatural or better supernatural as what doesn't come naturally to us starts to appear in our lives and what takes place in our lives bears witness to the fact that God is making us new creations ahead of the day when he will bring us to be with himself and most fundamentally the, the greatest change that's worked in us is the fact that we have a new love for God a praise for God the God whom we have come to know in Jesus Christ and that's why then verse 14 concludes by saying that this work of the Spirit of God is to the praise of his glory praise flows from those who have discovered the life of God through the Spirit in their lives so maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, okay, I hear that God's loved me before time began. I hear that Jesus Christ has loved me on the cross. I hear that God has revealed his plans to me. How do I know that God won't let me go? How do I know that God will keep me to the very end? And the answer is here. God has come through his spirit as a down payment, as a deposit, as a security of all that's yet to come. And one day you're going to be with God face to face through Jesus Christ but to guarantee that he says I'm going to come and I'm going to live with you now and change your life now so that you experience something of the reality of my presence here and now ahead of the day when I'm going to take you to be with myself and what should our response be to this God's work past and present and future what is our response to this work of the three-person God, the Father who, who plans before the creation of the world that he would take us to be with himself, the Son who enters into human history to die on the cross for us, the Spirit of God who comes to dwell in our hearts. What's our response? Our response can only be to say thank you to God who has loved us in such a way. Thank you to the Father who has, who has planned this for us. Thank you to the Son who has secured it for us. Thank you to the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And when we do that, then this delights God because God loves nothing more than to give his people joy and pleasure. The joy and pleasure that comes through knowing him and the joy and pleasure that far exceeds anything else in this world. Let's give thanks then to God as we close our time together. Almighty 
God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give thanks that you have so powerfully and mightily worked in human history, before human history, and in all that is yet to come, to bring us unworthy sinners to be your own children. And our joy this morning, Father, is to spend these moments with you, praising you. Because when we praise you, we, we enjoy you. And when we enjoy you, we grow in our love for you. And when we grow in our love for you, then we long to be with you and long to be with our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's given us the promise that one day he will come again and take us to be with himself. And there our hearts will be satisfied because there we will see the culmination of your plans. There we will see the times of fulfillment when you bring everything under Jesus Christ and we give to him the, the honour and praise that he deserves and our hearts are satisfied as we come to know you in all your fullness. And so for these moments together we give you thanks and pray that our hearts will be full of praise through the remainder of this week as we ask it for the honour of Jesus Christ. Thank you.